Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined by John Wall. John is a partner at Trust Insights, a marketing data consultancy and the producer and co-host of the Marketing Over Coffee podcast. John is a marketing and sales professional with marketing experience with teams and loves using technology to improve sales and marketing productivity. His specialties include marketing, sales, copywriting, blogging, SEO, podcasting, and affiliate and search marketing. He is also the author of the Marketing Over Coffee, Coffee Playbook and B2B Marketing Confessions. Thanks so much for joining us today, John. Oh, hey, thanks for having me, Nathan. Hey, can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Oh, technology is always at the core of everything for me. I, you know, started right out of school. I was actually in the insurance industry for like five years. And that was right during the time when email and websites were taking off and everybody was, you know, starting to run with a laptop. And I just learned immediately that that was where I needed to be. You know, I was not supposed to be where I was. I was supposed to be rolling this stuff out. And so, yeah, you know, we started the Marketing Over Coffee podcast like 14 years ago now, we've been doing that forever. We got in early on that. And uh, even right now I'm building a home theater. That's my latest tech uh, <laughs> half disaster. We're trying to see if we can turn the living room into its own little movie studio and it's, it's working pretty well. So yeah, it always comes back to tech. What is the greatest home run you've hit in your career so far? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, because, you know, I'm just on paper. Um, I was at AccuRev from uh, 2005 to 2010. We grew that company from, um, I got in, it was just under a million. And it ended up going up to about 15 or 16 million, I think, and was acquired by Microfocus. So that's, you know, that's kind of like the classic startup home run. But Wow. Yeah, congratulations. Um, yeah, thanks. Well, you know, unfortunately, th this was still the part of my career where I have made other people lots of money. You know, I have not <laughs> myself uh, cashed in on that. So, yes, I've made a lot of other people rich. And, yes, yeah, so I think the biggest home run really is where I'm at at Trust Insights right now because I finally, I with those previous wins, earned the right to now have enough equity that, you know, it actually makes a difference. And more importantly is the fact that I'm surrounded by a team where we all trust each other. You know, we all look out for each other. Um, we've got each other's backs. It's not, you know, so many companies. So I had like AccuRev was a classic example. It was a great team and we had a win and, you know, it's been more than 10 years now and we still will get together for drinks and talk to people and have a great time. But along the way, there were three or four companies where, you know, backstabbing was a good day. And, you know, there was just a lot of insanity and I've been through so many crazy startups that, um, yeah, I'm thankful for where I am. And yeah, so I'd have to put the biggest win where I'm, I'm sitting today. All right. Your career focuses a lot on trust, as you've mentioned, and I'm going to go straight to the hard question. Why do marketers so often violate trust? That seems so counterintuitive, but so many marketers implement manipulative and deceptive strategies. Oh yeah. It's a, people trade. It's a, for the quick buck. You, you are literally going for the quick buck. So many marketing departments have not even quarterly. Some of them have monthly goals. Like you better, you know, leads better be up 10% a month every month. And so, yeah, they're willing to trade lists and, you know, some, sign people up for newsletters when, you know, they've signed up for something else. I mean, yeah, it's, it's always cashing in on the quick buck. Um, and it does work. I mean, there are certain industries where pure volume does get you to where you need to be, but <clears throat> yeah, I've just kind of always, believe that it always catches up to you sooner or later. You like, you can't avoid it forever. Um, and it, 
And even if you do have to make some compromises, at least try to fix them, you know, in the long run, you can at least, if you're doing something that you feel is not where you want to be, you know, you can take some time, set time aside, prioritize it so that you fix those things. Um, and yet it's interesting too, in that really, you know, customers and prospects are all about the trust. They actually don't care about their data or what you're doing with it as long as they trust you. You know, um, Seth Godin has this great example about credit card companies. You know, the credit card companies have all our info, right? They could even map us out where we are for most of the year because they see all of our transactions. But if a credit card company were to be like, um, yeah, you know, we've got a promotion we're offering for flowers. We see that you've got a girlfriend on the side. Maybe you'd like us to send her some of those. You know, that is the kind of stuff. That's where now suddenly everybody yells about privacy, but that's really a violation of trust. You know, they were given the, the data and they did something with it that is causing a problem. Um, and on the flip side of that too, I've always said, man, I'll give you my retina and my DNA and everything. If I could just walk onto an airplane, I like, I, I would give anybody anything to not have to go through the security theater. So yeah, it, it's all about, it's more trust than privacy. What are some of the most common traps that marketers fall into? And, and what are some of the fastest ways to lose consumer trust? Oh, well, you know, obviously violating privacy trust, you know, something like that where, and, and pretty much that goes right to brand, right? There's people who say all brand is, is the promise of what you're going to do. So as soon as you break that promise, you know, you lose the customer. Um, you know, one thing that's counterintuitive in, in the space is people, um, who worry about their data being clean and, and uh, cleaning up. There's really, in a lot of situations, there's no benefit to spending a ton of time on data hygiene. Uh, just to give an example, to, to, so people kind of know what I'm talking about. You know, let's say your CRM system has 40,000 contacts in it. You know, there's 2,000 in there that are going to get the majority of the action. And the other 40,000, you know, if they've unsubscribed and you know, they're still being monitored through your, your system so that when they click on stuff, you know, you'll kind of know that they've woken back up, but just leave those people over there. Don't spend time doing that. Really always work on getting more data for the best qualified contacts, contacts and, and keep moving forward. I see too many marketers kind of get lost and like, oh, everything has to be neat and tidied and deleted, you know, on a time frame. I mean, there's obviously compliance issues where that comes to, to task, but yeah, don't get too bogged down in the details. Always keep your eye on the, you know, where the next customer might come from and what the existing customers want. And then, you know, just kind of, um, you just have to survive long enough to get some help to do the cleanup. You know, don't worry more about hitting your goals than keeping a, a tidy workshop. Okay, let's talk about automation for a minute. Um, I, I hate it when I get those automated emails from people when I've already bought the product and they, they're just, they're, uh, they're, it feels like they're messing up the trust relationship. Um, so how has automation eroded that trust even further? And what can businesses do who, who want to roll out the automation, but don't want to destroy that trust? Yeah, that's, you know, that's such a complicated problem on a bunch of levels. Like, the, and we see this all the time with retargeting, right? Is, you know, you go buy something on Amazon and then you're seeing ads for it for the next two weeks, even though you've already bought it. And that's right at the core of the problems with advertising and that there's no incentive for the advertisers to actually close that loop and shut you off so they can show less ads. For in-house, it's really, you know, people talk about silos being a problem, but you do reach a point where maybe you want to do some siloing. You know, as soon as you know you've got somebody as a customer, they should be maybe in an even an entire different um, 
you know, type of database, whether it's they move from marketing automation to CRM or something like that, so that you have a bridge and you know that, okay, you know, now when prospect emails go out, we always dedupe against the customer list so that the customers aren't getting these, hey, buy two, get one free today. And you get all the angry messages of, hey, we've, you know, we already bought six months ago. And now why is the new business deal better than the one we just signed and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, you know, the quick and easy one to that is I think um, companies do have to have somebody who's responsible for the customer. Usually it's a customer service division, but we see so much of that overlapping with marketing now because there's so much marketing and customer experience that happens after the customer comes on board. And so having people who are in charge of making sure that, you know, customers aren't getting harassed, they're not getting promotions that they've already opted out for. And the other big one is you always need these in companies to reduce the churn, you know, whether it's six months out or three months out before agreements end, you want to take and have a process in place of like, okay, we need to check back in and talk to this person before renewal comes up, because if there's a problem, that's got to be fixed before renewal. Um, Because you see so many subscription services just killed by churn, you know, they just kind of get the money and then they cheer and party and forget about the customer until 12 months later when they bail. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about the relationship because if if hypothetically that's true and and we're trying to build long-term relationships where we're taking care of them, how do those marketing and sales relationships affect sales? Yeah, this is I think this doesn't get talked about enough, but really more than ever the customer is just driving the sales process so much that you're really just subject to the desires of the prospect. You know, I mean, when they show up now, they've already done their research. They've already checked the reviews. They know what the product should cost. They know what it should do. They're, they've pretty much made their decision. It's just up to you to lose it. And so you know, everything we just talked about with like having a monthly and just constant communication is critical on the sales cycle now too. You really have to set yourself up. And I think the the biggest part of that is, proving your reputation before the sale. You know, if you're still providing value or resources or even um, you've got positive uh, testimonials from other similar customers, all that stuff you keep marshaled and try and keep in front of people. But really it's just a matter of when the prospect says, okay, yeah, we're ready to do this. You know, we've, we've got the budget or I've got the time or something else broke. It needs to get done. Now you need a triggering event from, from the prospect to make it happen because yeah, gone are the days of, you know, the enterprise sales rep, like, you know, pushing the software into the company to make a deal happen like that, that kind of stuff just pretty much almost never happens anymore. It's all, at the whim of the the prospect, you've got to work for them. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And the prospect is coming to us most of the time already relatively educated about our product. They've looked us up online. They've read our reviews. They've watched some videos about us. They're usually not entering the process cold anymore like they used to. Yeah. Isn't it insane? I mean, because it used to be years ago, you know, you'd have to deal with the rep if you wanted to see a demo, if you wanted to like try something out, you had to. And now it's like, no, go ahead, go on YouTube, go to G2 crowd, go, you know, take it for a spin. Most people even do freemium. So. Yeah. People used to play that game of saying uh, you, you have to speak to a rep to even get pricing. And now it's like when you see someone where they won't give you pricing until you speak with a rep, like you just assume they're going to like charge you through the nose. You, you just assume that it's, it's probably not the best option out there for you. And most people ignore those and they go to the software products where they can get the demo and get the pricing, get the information they want when they want it. 
Yeah, yeah. Because if you're not going to do it, the, the competitor will. So you really have no choice. Yeah, you, you don't get to play the sliding scale anymore. No, that used to be the way business worked. And some businesses still do it that way. But I, I cringe when I see that now. <laughs> okay, um, you, you talked about building this reputation, this trust with our customers. We we go through and give us, and I know you've mentioned some of these, um, you know, the success stories and testimonials, but maybe go through and, and walk me through what are the best ways that I can build trust with my customers? Yeah, it's, again, it goes back to delivering on the promises. You know, it's everything that, because <laughs> there is this amazing point where when they do the first purchase, you know, they have a picture in their mind of what they want the experience to be and what they're going to get out of it. And during those initial couple months comes the reality of like, okay, yeah, the software does work for this, but it doesn't integrate to our instance of Salesforce exactly correctly. And we need to do some additional work to make that, you know, come together and happen. And so, yeah, during the first three months, six months, there's all these proof points of like, okay, now can it really do exactly what we want it to do? And it's really, it's feeling uh, this is where it becomes a true relationship. It's on both sides of it too. You know, even as the vendor, you can be like, Hey, well, yeah, well, we're going to set this up when we normally do it this way. And the customer can come back and be like, Oh, well, we actually don't have access to this or, you know, we can't change that. Like there can be broken promises on both sides. And yeah, ultimately it's, you know, who can bend and adapt and can you both come to a place that financially works for both of you? Um, that's really, you know, suddenly where people will want to renew because ultimately you have to get to a point where, you know, the customer can't live without you, right? They, they would not dream of not sending the money to you because they need whatever is coming back to them. And, You're talking about becoming a drug dealer. Yeah, basically, right. The software industry is the only one that, uh, aside the drug dealers, have users, right? We have users. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is. You, you have to be indispensable. Yeah, the nicer way Seth Godin always says, you need to be missed if you're gone. You know, if you don't show up, people have to be like, wait, why are they not here? What's going on? Our day's not going to be as good as it was because they're not here. Um, because yeah, there's always going to be budget pressure and there's always going to be other vendors. So you know, unless you can get to a point where you're uh, constantly delivering value, it, it's not going to last. So you've got to got to stay on top of it. Do you think customers are more or less trusting today than they were 20 years ago? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't think human behavior has really changed that much. You know, it's more for every industry people have expectations, right? Like, you know, you're going to get abused by your cell phone provider and by your cable TV company. <laughs> and, you know, you just know that it's going to be horrible. Whereas um, when you go to your local restaurant, you know, you want to be treated like a friend and a recurring, you know, they want you to ask about your kids and you're going to talk about what's going on in town. So that's like the ultimate high bar. And yeah, I don't, I, you know, I mean, there's some weird stuff over the past 20 years of, I, I think some of the shine has finally worn off social media and some of these companies, you know, people kind of thought that a lot of the internet was going to be um, kumbaya and flowers. And now they find out, well, it's more about trading your data and, you know, stealing your organic traffic. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I think human nature hasn't changed and that people have their expectations for certain kinds of things. And you have to be um, not blind to that. You have to understand that like, okay, if, if this is a service business, we do have to go way above and beyond what's normally expected. And, and like, that's where you totally see brick and mortar just taking a beating now, you know, they just can't match Amazon 
bring it to you in a day and if no hassle returns and oh by the way infinite selection you know yesterday i needed a book for a kid's birthday party and i I went to three local bookstores because i want to support the local business but they were all out of stock you know they didn't they don't have the depth of inventory and so i still had to buy it from amazon anyway but um so yeah being able to adapt and stay ahead of what's the expected standard is is really where it's at you've been talking a lot about making our businesses more human and uh, marketing like a human. Uh, how can we do that? How do we make our marketing messages more human? Yeah, like a, a good example, we do this now with our marketing automation system is, you know, the old way would be to, um, after a webinar, just send out a bulk email. Hey, go check out the recording. Um, but the better way to do that is now we layer more data on top of that. And I can see, okay, so from these 300 that went to the webinar, here's 40 that have also been banging around our website in the past six months, pulling down a bunch of articles and they're more engaged than the rest of the pack. And so I can just go through those one at a time and be like, Hey, Dave, I see that you're in the, uh, meat processing industry. You know, we do some neat stuff, analyzing quarterly trends, tell me if you'd love to check out a report. And so now, instead of using data processing just to send out thousands more messages than I could humanly do, we're using it for me to comb through the hundreds of prospects. And so I can just spend my time on the 15 or 20 that are have better odds of being successful. And I can actually have a personal discussion with them and be more relevant, be more interesting. Um, because pretty much... you. Know, everyone will give you the courtesy of a reply if it's a personalized message and you're, you know, you've got something of value to them personally, as opposed to the, you know, the inbox beating we all get where we're just kind of like how, you know, what can we delete without having any impact? There's that whole list of messages you flush as soon as they come in. Okay. So it seemed, and maybe this is just in my business, but it seems like despite my best efforts, there's still times where where I fall short with my customers. There's, you know, you have 200 customers and there's one customer that just, you know, thinks you horribly failed them. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, you just, you, you do the best you can to protect your servers, but, but something gets hacked, right. We've seen that in the news there, there's still going to be broken trust or breaches in trust. How do we mend that? What, what's, what are the best steps we can take to, to repair broken trust? Yeah, the, you know, the fantastic recovery is always the the trade answer that people throw out there of, you know, as soon as something is broken, make sure that you jump in and you fix it as fast as you can and as um, adeptly as you can so that you can prove that, hey, this is really important to us. We want this to get fixed. Uh, but there's also the challenge of, you know, unfortunately, there's uh, there's people that operate as a zero sum game. You know, they want to negotiate everything. They're just always going to tell you that your service is terrible because they want the next, they want the best price. They want to be able to beat you down and, and get more out of you for free. So it, it's kind of tough. You have to even juggle. You probably come to a point where you realize that, you know, maybe it would be better if these people were over at the competition because the competition could then spend thousands of hours, you know, dealing with this. Um, so, so that can happen too, but um yeah, I think, you know, again, it's the just jump in um, and having the human contact. Oh, here's another easy win, too, on the customer service side is when you look at an org, you always want to try and identify your champions and your very important top officers and your your blockers. You know, if in your Salesforce.com or whatever else you're using, if you have notes in there as far as like, 
okay, this is the guy that I can call and he's always going to tell me the truth. And this is the guy, if he gets angry, we're going to lose the deal. If you have enough info in front of you to get a better picture of that, because everybody has, um, you know, we used to have this one customer. Yeah. Where we just knew this one person always complains about everything, you know? So you kind of always take that with a grain of salt when it comes in from them, because that's, you know, it's an off week if they're not complaining about something. And so you don't get as, um, worried about those as when you see one where it's your champion, you know, it's somebody who kind of took a lot of risk to bring into the company because they wanted to try something really cool. Those are the people like if they've got a problem, yeah, you've got to jump to it and make sure that you get them back on track and take care of them. Because we always know that those are the kind of people too, that are going to get tired at their job and they're going to go to the next company and they're going to pull you along with them. And so you know, those are the kind of people you want to take care of. So yeah, um, having a good lay of the land can make you more effective there. Thank you so much, John, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, a brand is the promise of what we're going to do. When we break that promise, we often lose the customer. Number two, when we use a customer's personal information without their permission, we often violate their trust and lose their business. Number three, automated emails can erode customer trust if we aren't careful about what we're sending to whom. We don't want to send long-term customers the same emails we send to prospective customers. Number four, customers do their research about our brand before coming to us. We should make an effort to build our reputation and trust from the very beginning of the customer journey. Number five, we can build customer trust through positive reviews and testimonials, meeting expectations, and personalized emails. Number six, in order to mend broken trust, we should apologize and try to fix the problem as fast as we can. Number seven, we shouldn't waste our time trying to mend trust with a distrusting person. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about John, you can find him on LinkedIn, check out his podcast and his books, and you can find links to those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free copy of my ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe for free to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I wish you success as you strive to build customer trust. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.